It's a beautiful morning. The temple courtyard is bustling with the excitement of Passover, a time of year when Israel celebrates God's deliverance from captivity, from slavery, God setting them free from centuries of bondage to the Egyptians. Birds are chirping, doves are cooing, there's the random bleating of a sheep, the random mooing, the disinterested mooing of a cow. Money changers are making small talk with each other and their customers, helping temple goers trade the imperial coinage for the local currency, the shekel, which was the appropriate way uh, to make a payment for sacrifice at the temple. Priests and prophets making their way through the crowds. It's a good day, a fine occasion. God is in God's heaven and all the nickels and noses are in their place. The prevailing order is intact. Then Jesus comes through the gate, into the courtyard, having just tightened the last knot on his homemade whip, moving at a quick pace, scowling, red with fury, raising the whip, he begins driving out the livestock, crack, pop. Immediately, heads are turning to see a familiar face, shock, disbelief. Isn't he the prophet John the Baptist was just preaching about several weeks ago by the river? Isn't this Jesus? Isn't this the one of whom it was said as the Lamb of God who's come away, come to save uh, save us from our sins? And others may be recalling his face from the wedding just a few days ago when he kept the party going into the night in Cana with everyone's favorite miracle. Now he's crashing the party. Crack! Pop! He grabs the bags of coins. He slings them. He upends the tables and the coins and the registers and the scales are making an incredible racket on the stone floor of the courtyard. Then Jesus begins yelling at the dove sellers, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a counting house how he came to bring fire to the earth and how he wishes that we're already kindled. Crack! Pop! The prevailing order has come undone. God is zealous love. God is passionate love. God's love is an all-consuming fire. Now, not all four Gospels tell the same stories about Jesus. All four Gospel writers tell this story. John is the only one, however, who includes a whip as well as livestock. It's not clear that Jesus struck people with this whip. Also, not clear that he didn't. In Rembrandt's painting, Christ driving the money changers, the artist, leaves no doubt. Jesus is right on top of the terrified money changers, poised to leave not a few whelps on at least one very unlucky traitor. What in God's name has possessed God's son to do this? 
Couldn't have he just brought a soapbox instead and stood on it like one of those annoying street preachers and started quoting prophets at full volume? Why? Why the whip? Why the tossing of tables? Why this untamed lashing out at people who are just going to church, just doing the right thing, just doing what the Bible said on a high and holy day? God is zealous love. God is passionate love. God's love is an all-consuming fire. As Jesus proceeds to turn the courtyard upside down, the disciples remember Psalm 69.9. Zeal for your house has consumed me. But that's only half of the verse. The other half, which is the first half is designed to remind us of reads this the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me jesus is angry because he's been insulted insulted that the power of almighty god has been reduced to mere transaction humdrum religion monotonous participation unremarkable customary was this not passover do we not remember the mighty acts of god who loves us so much that god would save us from the malaise of captivity slavery drudgery how in god's name can we take the stunning mysterious event of a bush all flame but not consumed and reduce it to a transaction denarius for a shekel <laughs> how can we take god's unleashing of plagues and locusts and amphibians and infections and hail and blood and distill these mem memories into a currency exchange how can we stand in awe of winds holding back the waters of the sea and making a dry path in the wilderness to freedom and dilute this experience into something so mediocre such that one could hardly tell the difference between the holy and the profane, between sacred and desecrated places, Zeal for your house has consumed me because the people whose psalms sing of God's glory thundering are really now just groaning through the motions of trifling religious practice. But God is zealous love. God is passionate love. God's love is an all-consuming fire. I remember about a decade ago, not long after the New York City Police Department and cahoots with the federal government at its highest levels blasted through Zuccotti Park, wielding tanks and rifles and shields and batons against their own neighbors and their own fellow Americans who had mesmerized the world with their very compelling protest of our nation's grotesque economic practices. Once it had been cleared out, all the protesters gone, a new group gathered intent on using the parking lot of a very wealthy Manhattan church as ground zero for a new protest, a new 
ground zero for helping the homeless by squatting in foreclosed houses, a kind of ingenious plan they had devised to help people whose lives had been ruined after the 2008 housing crisis. A new group of protesters led by ministers gathered outside the gates of this wealthy Manhattan church who had refused to let them use the parking lot and had gated it off and locked the gate. An Episcopal priest, a zealous priest, an angry priest, then Bishop Suffragan of the armed services, in fact, protested their decision by climbing a makeshift ladder and somehow in a cassock, a full-bodied robe, purple, managed to scale this high wrought iron fence and jump to the other side to trespass onto orderly property. He was arrested. The church did not drop the charges. One of my preaching professors taught me that sermon tones generally fall into four different categories. There are sermons that tell us of God's yes. God loves us. God forgives us. God saves us. God redeems us. Then there are sermons that tell us of God's no. God judges. God upbraids. God teaches us right from wrong. There are sermons that call us to go and do. Go, make disciples of all nations. Do this in remembrance of me. But then he said there's a fourth tone of sermons that should say, stop. Stop. Stop making my father's house a boring house. Stop making my father's house a counting house. Stop watering down the gospel. Stop taking my love for granted. What should make Christians as angry as Jesus is today? What would compel us to follow Jesus into harnessing this kind of anger for a message to the church and the world? I wonder what makes you angry. You know, this is one of those texts that Ministers really can't abuse, they kind of use it as their own whip against their own church. It's not, it's not what this is about. No, I want to tell you, recently I was quite proud of the church and ministers and getting angry in Asheville just a month or so ago. It was one of the coldest nights of the year. Someone had called the DOT to come and clear out a, a small encampment underneath a bridge overpass. I mean, of all the nights, come on, <laughs> of all the nights, really? And I'm not picking on the police or the city officials or the DOT. It was just a bad situation. It was a stupid decision to come in and clear out these folks from the, the only place of warmth and security they had again, on one of the coldest nights of the year, and uh, granted there were missed phone calls and missed opportunities, and it was just, it was a sad night for Asheville. 
But I want to point to the good news that happened. The good news is that there was a backlash and there was anger and there was an outcry. One of our minister friends, a former pastor in Asheville, sent me an email of a message that he had sent to some officials saying, what are we doing? Who are we that we would do something like this? This has to stop. We can't, this isn't, this isn't right. It must stop, stop. We're better than this. And I know as a minister, he said, who has helped the homeless for decades that we can do better than this. He was angry. He was somehow a receptacle for the zealous love of God outpouring and he was somehow a container of this love and he shared that anger in the right way. And it makes you wonder how many things would stop if everyone knew how angry the Christians were going to be about the injustice. We have so much more power than we know. So what is it? What makes you angry about injustice, about division, about hatred, about enslavement, unfairness, inequality, all of the things that Jesus leads us to see and and Jesus exposes for us as, as grotesque in the eyes of God. What of these makes you angry enough that it spills out of you? It's part of the good news today is that God is zealous love, and this zealous love pours out into a public square where we can share in it. We can be receptacles of it, and we can follow Jesus all the way, all the way to where he said he was going, in very cryptic language, tear down this temple And in three days, I'll raise it again. This anger leads to resurrection. Now, I want all of us to to wonder about that. God is zealous love. God is passionate love. God's love is an all-consuming fire. How has it consumed us? What are we mad about today that might propel us to give life eternal somewhere, anywhere in our community and take that. Let Jesus harness it for you and bring it to church. Except for the whip. Leave the whip. Jesus has a lot better aim than us.